Part One, Chapter Seven of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. It was already two o'clock when Pierre left his friend. It was a luminous June night, characteristic of Petersburg. Pierre took his seat in the hired carriage with the intention of going home, but the farther he rode, the more impossible he found it to think of sleeping on such a night which was more like twilight or early morning. He could see far down through the empty streets. On the way it occurred to him that the gambling club were to meet as usual that evening, at Anatoly Kurigan's, after which they were accustomed to have a drinking bout, topping off with one of Pierre's favorite entertainments. It would be good fun to go to Kurigan's, said he to himself, but instantly he remembered that he had given Prince Andrei his word of honor not to go there again. But, as it happens to men of no strength of character, this was immediately followed by such a violent desire to have one more last taste of this dissipated life, so well known to him, that he determined to go, and, in excuse for it, the thought entered his mind that his promise was not binding, because, before he had given it to Prince Andrei, he had also promised Anatole to be present at his house. Moreover, he reasoned that all such pledges were merely conditional, and had no definite meaning, especially if it were taken into consideration that perhaps by the next day he might be dead, or something might happen to him so extraordinary that the distinctions of honorable and dishonorable would entirely vanish. Arguments of this nature often occurred to Pierre, entirely upsetting his plans and purposes. He went to Kurigan's. Driving up to the great house at the horse-guard barracks, where Anatole lived, he sprang upon the lighted porch, ran up the steps, and entered the open door. There was no one in the entry. Empty bottles, cloaks, and overshoes were scattered about. There was an odor of wine. In some distant room he could hear loud talking and shouts. Play and supper were over, but the guests had not yet dispersed. Pierre threw off his cloak and went into the first room. Where were the remains of the supper? A single waiter, thinking that no one could see him, was stealthily drinking up the wine in the half-empty glasses. In a third room were heard the sounds of scuffling, laughter, the shouts of well-known voices, and the growl of a bear. Eight young men were eagerly crowding around an open window. Three were training with the cub, which one of their number was dragging by a chain and trying to frighten the others with, "'I bet a hundred on Stevens,' cried one. "'See that he doesn't hold on,' cried a second. "'I bet on Dolokhov,' cried a third. "'Get those fellows away from the bear, Kurigan. "'There, let Mishka go. The wager is here.' "'One pull, or he loses,' cried a fourth. "'Yakov, bring the bottle. "'Yakov,' cried the host of the evening, "'a tall, handsome fellow, standing in the midst of the crowd, "'in a single, thin shirt, thrown open at the chest.' "'Hold on, gentlemen. Here he is. Here is our dear friend, Petrushka,' he cried, turning to Pierre. A short man, with clear blue eyes, whose voice, among all those drunken voices, was noticeable for its tone of sobriety, shouted from the window, "'Come here, and hear about the wagers.' This was Dolokhov, an officer of the Semyonovsky regiment, a well-known gambler and bully, whose home was with Anatole. Pierre smiled, as he gaily looked around him. "'I don't understand at all. What's up?' "'Hold on! He's not drunk! Bring a bottle!' 
cried Anatole, and taking a glass from the table, went up to Pierre. First of all, drink. Pierre proceeded to drain glass after glass, at the same time closely observing and listening to his drunken companions, who had again crowded around the window. Anatole kept his glass filled with wine, and told him how Dolokhov had laid a wager with Stevens, an English navalman who happened to be there, that he, Dolokhov, was to drink a bottle of rum, sitting in the third-story window, with his legs hanging out. "'There, now, drink it all,' said Anatole, handing the last glass to Pierre. "'I shan't let you off.' "'No, I don't wish any more,' replied Pierre, and pushing Anatole aside, he went to the window. Dolokhov was holding the Englishman by the arm, and was clearly and explicitly laying down the conditions of the wager, turning more particularly to Anatole and Pierre as they approached. Dolokhov was a man of medium height, with curly hair and bright blue eyes. He was twenty-five years old. Like all infantry officers, he wore no moustache, so that his mouth, which was the most striking feature of his face, was wholly revealed. The lines of the mouth were drawn with remarkable delicacy. The upper lip closed firmly over the strong lower one in a sharp curve at the center, and in the corners hovered constantly something in the nature of two smiles, one in each corner. And all taken together, and especially in conjunction with a straightforward, bold, intelligent look, made it impossible not to take notice of his face. Dolokhov was not a rich man, and he had no influential connections. But although Anatole spent ten thousand roubles a year, and it was known that Dolokhov lived with him, nevertheless he had succeeded in winning such a position that Anatole and all who were acquainted with the two men had a higher regard for him than for Anatole. Dolokhov played nearly every kind of a game, and almost always won. However much he drank, he never was known to lose his head. Both Kuragin and Dolokhov were at this time notorious among the rakes and spendthrifts of Petersburg. The bottle of rum was brought. Two lackeys, evidently made timid and nervous by the orders and shouts of the boon companions, tried to pull away the sash that hindered anyone from sitting on the outer slope of the window-seat. Anatole, with his swaggering way, came up to the window. He wanted to smash something. He pushed the lackeys away and tugged at the sash, but the sash would not yield, so he broke the window-panes. "'Now you try it, you man of muscle,' said he, turning to Pierre. Pierre seized hold of the crossbar, gave a pull, and the oaken framework gave way with a crash. "'Take it all out, or they'll think I clung to it,' said Dolokhov. "'The Englishman accepts it, does he? All right?' asked Anatole. "'All right,' said Pierre, glancing at Dolokhov, who took the bottle of rum and went to the window, through which could be seen the sky, where the evening and morning light were beginning to mingle. He leaped upon the window-sill with the bottle in his hand. "'Listen,' he cried, as he stood there, and looked back into the room. All were silent. "'I wager,' he spoke French so that the Englishman might understand him, and spoke it none too well, either. "'I wager fifty imperials, or perhaps you prefer a hundred? he added, addressing the Englishman. "'No, fifty, replied the Englishman. "'Very well, then, fifty it is.' that I will drink this whole bottle of rum without taking it once from my mouth, drink it sitting in this window, in that place there, he bent over and pointed to the sloping projection of the wall outside the window, and not holding on to anything. Is that understood? 
very good. Anatole turned to the Englishman, and holding him by the button of his coat and looking down upon him, for the Englishman was of small stature, began to repeat the terms of the wager in English. Hold, cried Dolokhov, thumping the window with the bottle in order to attract attention. Hold, Kurigan, listen. If anyone else does the same thing, then I will pay down a hundred imperials. Do you understand? The Englishman nodded his head, though he did not make it apparent whether or no he were prepared to accept this new wager. Anatole still held him by the button, and, in spite of the nods that he made to signify that he understood all that was said, Anatole insisted on translating Dolokhov's words for him into English. A lean, young Lipussar, who had been playing a loser game all the evening, climbed upon the window, leaned over, and gazed down. Who? Who? Ho! Oh, he exclaimed as he looked down from the window to the flagstones below. Hush! cried Dolokhov, and he pulled the officer back from the window, who, getting his feet entangled in his spurs, awkwardly leaped down into the room. Placing the bottle on the window-sill so as to be within reach, Dolokhov warily and coolly climbed into the window. Letting down his legs and spreading out both hands, he measured the width of the window, sat down, let go his hands, moved to the right, then to the left, and took up the bottle. Anatole brought two candles and set them on the window-seat, although it was now quite light. Dolokhov's back, in the white shirt, and his curly head were illuminated on both sides. All gathered around the window. The Englishman stood in the front row. Pierre smiled and said nothing. One of the older men present suddenly stepped forward, with a stern and frightened face, and attempted to seize Dolokhov by the shirt. "'Gentlemen, this is folly. He will kill himself,' said this man, who was less foolhardy than the rest. Anatole restrained him. "'Don't touch him. You will startle him, and then he might fall. What if he should, eh?' Dolokhov turned around, straightening himself up, and again stretching out his hands. "'If anyone touches me again,' said he, hissing the words through his thin, compressed lips, "'I shall send him flying down there.' So now, thus having spoken, he resumed his former position, dropped his hands, and seizing the bottle, he lifted it to his lips, bent his head back, and raised his free arm as a balance. One of the lackeys, who had begun to clear away the broken glass, paused in his work, and, without straightening himself up, fixed his eyes on the window and Dolokhov's back. Anatole stood straight with staring eyes. The Englishman, thrusting out his lips, looked askance. The man who had tried to stop the proceeding repaired to one corner of the room and threw himself on a sofa, with his face to the wall. Pierre covered his eyes, and the feeble smile still hovering over his lips now expressed horror and apprehension. All were silent. Pierre took his hand from his eyes. Dolokhov was still sitting in the same position, only his head was thrown farther back, so that the curly hair in the nape of his neck touched his shirt-collar, and his hand, holding the bottle, was lifted higher and higher, trembling under the effort. The bottle was evidently nearly empty, and consequently had to be held almost perpendicularly over his head. Why should it take so long? thought Pierre. It seemed to him as though more than a half-hour had elapsed. Suddenly Dolokhov's body made a backward motion, and his arm trembled nervously. This tremor was sufficient to make him slip as he sat on the sloping ledge. 
In fact, he slipped, and his arm and head wavered more violently as he struggled to regain his balance. He stretched out one hand to clutch the window seat, but refrained from touching it. Pierre again covered his eyes, and declared to himself that he would not open them again. Suddenly he was conscious that there was a commotion around him. He looked up. Dolokhov was standing on the window seat. His face was pale, but radiant. Empty! He flung the bottle at the Englishman, who cleverly caught it on the fly. Dolokhov sprang down from the window. He exhaled a powerful odor of rum. Capital! Bravo! That's a wager worth having. The devil take you all, were the voices that rang from all sides. The Englishman, taking out his purse, was counting out his money. Dolokhov was scowling and had nothing to say. Pierre started for the window. Gentlemen, who wants to make the bet with me? I will do the same thing, he cried. But there's no need of any wager. Give us a bottle. I will do it anyway. Bring a bottle. Hold on, hold on, said Dolokhov, smiling. What's the matter with you? Are you beside yourself? We won't let you. It makes you dizzy even on a staircase, were shouted from various sides. I will drink it. Give me a bottle of rum, cried Pierre, pounding on the table with drunken resolution, and climbing into the window. He was seized by the arm, but his strength was so great that whoever approached him was sent flying across the room. No, you will never dissuade him that way, said Anatole. Hold on, I will throw dust in his eyes. Listen, I will make the wager with you, but tomorrow, but now we are all going to blanks. Come on, cried Pierre. Come on, and we will take Mishka with us. And seizing the bear, he began to gallop round the room with him. End of chapter 7